Hello and welcome to Live Vedanta, a podcast where we explore simple living and high thinking. Each week, we join Vivek Gupta as he offers insights on bringing the divine into the daily. Over the last decade, Vivekji has shared his observations on the signs of independent joy with communities across North America and beyond. How do we simplify and stay on a routine? What are ways to manage thoughts that keep going during meditation? How do we stay focused? Meditation requires simplicity. So how does one balance that with our complex rituals? You have questions? Vivekji has answers. In this next episode of Meditation in Life, we get answers to questions about how to be simple, optimistic, and overcome barriers to practicing meditation. Greetings from Niagara Falls. The more busy you are, the more uptight your body will be. If you had a busy day today, you will find that your posture is tight, your back muscle, muscles are strained. The more distracted you are, the more irritable you are. When one is distracted, it's easy to make them imbalanced, to bother them. Our course is entitled Meditation in Life. The in life is our lifestyle. When our lifestyle is simple, only then will we be able to engage in high thinking. Simple living, high thinking. All of part one of Meditation and Life, the text, our first year together, has been about simplifying our lifestyle. And a practical way to do this is to establish yourself in a routine. Routine is most beneficial for those who want to take on greater aspirations in life. If you want to be ordinary, you don't need any routine. But if you want to be extraordinary, a routine is needed. Then I'll share two examples, one in a light way, one in a heavy way. This Saturday is the Cleveland Half Marathon. There's 30 of us that are running. Some are running 13 miles, some 26 miles. Out of the 30 people, suppose some have not made exercising their routine. Suppose they're not prepared for what's going to happen on Saturday. (laughs) That race is going to go on and on and on. They're going to slow walk those 13 or 26 miles Not a fast walk, not a jog, because they never made exercise a routine. So how would they reach the destination in a successful way? Now I'll give you a heavier example. 
recently in our Vedanta and Bhagavata class, the discussion subject was, should religions be compared? Should they have comparative religion classes in high school and college? My observation to this is no and yes, but first no. Only when one knows their own religion, at least 80%, then they can go about experimenting with other religions. At that point, they won't be distracted. They won't be <coughs> swayed into another religion. They'll <coughs> only look at other religions to emphasize the strengths of their own or to be curious about other religions. That 80% comes through routine. And one is routinely engaging in their own religion. Do you get to that depth? But if you're not, if you do this for one hour on Sundays, then how will you reach that 80%? Then anyone who comes with a religious thought will easily change your mind. Lifestyle is needed for meditation. In our school, where we have classes from Tuesday to Monday, this class, I have the most expectations of you. I'm telling you in a most straightforward way, out of all of the classes I teach, it is all of you that I have the most expectations of. And you should have the same expectations of yourself also. Pray before you contemplate. Whom should you pray to? To your Ishtadevata and your Sadguru. Your personal God and your personal guide. One's altar should be simple. My altar is only one icon of Bhagavan and one icon of the Guru Shisha Parampara, and that's it. Sheila and I share an altar, so she has her, her icon and her icons also. This may um, be difficult for a lot of you because your altars are very complex. Bhagavan and Sadhguru are really one, but it's hard for us to appreciate that, that oneness. If you want to go deep into this practice, if you want to try, then give away some of your icons. Recycle some of them. Say Om Namo Narayanaya and dispose of them. Bhagavan will know that you're trying to evolve. You're trying to let go of complexity, of so many supports. Pray. We have to sit then. And while you're sitting to engage in the thought massage, from your feet to your head, think of each body part and the most important point is to let go of that body part. And a tip here is be healthy. The healthier your body is, the easier for you to let go of identification with the body part. The less healthy you are, it'd be very difficult to go from body to breath. Be healthy. Hence, I again go back to lifestyle. 
then we have to engage in uh, our thought parade. We've prayed, we've sat, now we're with our mind and we should engage in the thought parade. The way that Swami Chinmayananda describes this, imagine you're high up in the military and there is a parade that's going in front of you and each one of those infantry, they salute you. And you acknowledge them, but you don't follow them, correct? You stand where you are. They keep on moving. In the thought parade, your intellect is like that uh, general. I think general is very high in the military. And every thought that goes through your mind is being acknowledged by the intellect. The intellect doesn't follow, but the intellect acknowledges, I know this thought, and I know this thought, and I know this thought, and this thought, and this thought. That is the thought parade. Pray, sit, watch. <clears throat> when one practices contemplation routinely, there's going to be points where you're going to be afraid. You're going to be afraid for two reasons. The first reason is simply stories that you've heard of people who have engaged in contemplation and have come back strange, have come back different. And you don't wanna be like that. You wanna be who you are. You wanna be a mother, you wanna be a worker, you wanna be whoever you are. Prince Arjuna asked the same questions to Bhagavan Krishna. What does an enlightened person think like, speak like, sit like, walk like? Those are just stories. Read the right stories about people like Sri Ramakrishna and Sri Ramana. How infinite they felt inside and displayed this outwardly. And secondly, you're going to be afraid of your own subconscious. Our conscious mind is busy. We're always doing something so we don't uh, appreciate really the content of that mind. It's more of a, of a facilitator. It's more of a manager. Do this, do this. But in contemplation, as I just described, we have to be quieter. And when we're quieter, when all of that busyness settles, we come to see how lethargic we are, how jealous we are, how insecure we are. This ugliness should not scare us, but rather this ugliness should encourage us to have a greater resolve. This is one point I wanna share with all of you. I was going to share later, but it fits in here is, you have to be the most optimistic person you know to be able to go all the way in contemplation. If you're generally a pessimistic or negative person, you still have to work on that lifestyle. But if you're starting to become a cheerful and positive person, then this uh, ugliness will not scare you, but rather will encourage you. When you get uh, ready to go to bed tonight or tomorrow morning and you look in the mirror and you look at your body shape, and if you're unhappy with your body shape, you have two choices. Do nothing about it, in which case 
that shape will become poorer. I'll just use the word poor. Or tomorrow you can wake up 15 minutes early and go for a walk. You can eat half a bowl of ice cream instead of two. <laughs> to have that greater resolve. Contemplation is most subtle. And that's why these comprehensive guidelines and tips are shared. And every one of them has to be practiced. Many of your parents whom you want to immigrate into America or Canada, if you don't fill in all of the documents totally accurately, they reject those applications, correct? This photograph is not right. They haven't surrendered their passport and so on and so forth. And that's just to live in America. Who wants to live in America? <laughs> <laughs> so now you have to amplify that to being able to contemplate to be happy once and for all. All that is shared in this text, all that I'm sharing with you, all of it has to be practiced. And if any of us think, been there, done that, or I'm beyond that, or that doesn't apply to me, that's just our ego that's tricking us. No different than when. Prince Arjuna says, I don't want to fight out of pity. He's lying to himself. But he's most fortunate that Bhagavan Krishna is right there to expose his lie. And he comes out of that lie. Don't be afraid. Those who contemplate become physically and mentally and intellectually stronger. Any questions from anyone? Once a month, I'm giving everyone an opportunity to ask any questions they have about the text, the course, Vedanta life. And I'm continuing with the recording because uh, as this is processed into a podcast, I think people will appreciate the questions you may have. And if you don't ask questions, then this is going to be a really awkward portion of the podcast. Hari Om Ji. I've been listening to your radio program for it. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> um, when I am practicing, I'm finding that um, I've been using Vivekji's videos from YouTube and you know, initially I was using the guided, uh, I think the sunflower feels one, and then the guided meditation. And now I'm working toward, uh, well, I've, I've been the, doing the 30 minutes, but I usually have to adjust myself in the middle. But I'm now hitting kind of a wall, I guess, where at some point I just can't control those thoughts anymore. And so I wanted to ask Vaiji's advice on, you know, it, how do I get over that? I, I, I think in the past, Vivekji had said, you know, that's a time to stop if you're not able to do it for a little while. But at some point, I want to get over it. So what is the next step? Yeah. You know, taking a break. Right on. I'm going to mute you. That was like good product placement, no? I was listening to your recordings on YouTube. <laughs> so Seeker's question is, uh, using guided meditation recordings 
sometimes we reach a wall or a plateau and what this feels like is that the thoughts keep on coming and I'm unable to follow along with the guidance. So what should one do in such a circumstance? Another text that all of you should read, it's a very short text, is called The Art of Contemplation by Swami Chinmayananda. And in <coughs> simple instructions, when your thoughts become louder, you should become louder than your thoughts. Here is where, when you find that your thoughts are uncontrollable, let the recording continue to play, but you should chant out loud. And if it's more wild inside, then chant louder outside. It's like what we do with, let's say, Vyasa. If Vyasa is being very loud and um, he's seeking attention, then at times we'll be louder than him so that he knows that um, his tantrum is not going to be impactful. It's not uh, going, we're not going to succumb to that. So you have to use that strategy to vocalize that chanting even more loudly. And when you find that your thoughts have become quieter, then you should become quieter too and go back into the practice of the thought parade. Okay? One more idea for all of you. The guided contemplation that you use, whoever's you use, any genuine guide will tell you that you eventually have to stop using that. Okay, I'm telling you most transparently, you should use this as long as you need guidance, but eventually this should be part, if you've done this routinely enough, this should be playing out through your own um, intuition. All right? And today we're actually going to experiment somewhat with that. Later on, we'll uh, get to that. Okay, next seeker, you're unmuted. Go ahead. Hariyam Vivekji. So I had asked a question where um, hardest part for me is to stick to a routine. It's easy for me to start the routine. Like I started bullet journaling, I started planning, I started exercising, I started eating well. But then somewhere in between, I get, um, I, I don't complete it because I, in case of eat, eating well, I hear different opinions and then I'm confused. And then um, exercise, I'm, I, I have back pain and then I have to stop sure. exercise and do something else. And bullet journaling, I, I, some people, someone suggests it's a waste of time. And then I think I don't hear my voice above others. Sure. I, generally, I, I know the direction you're going in. And for the sake of time, I'll, uh, I'll share some observations. As I shared earlier, I have the highest expectations of all of you, and you should have the highest expectations of yourself. Anything you want to do in life, you will do. Anyone you want to be in life, you will be. And if you're not doing it and you're not being it, it's because you don't want it. Anything you share with me right now will simply be an excuse. Will be the busy, will be the butt. Eating right, waking up early. If one sincerely wants to be healthy, this will be something that no one can change your opinion about. Like a parent with an infant, if an infant is crying and hungry, and I say, let's go watch a movie, let's go for a walk. 
that those words are are useless on that parent's ear, correct? That infant is hungry. That infant is suffering. That is the primary priority. For us, self-development has to become the primary priority. Today, I was, as I was going through the people who are registered in our course, I was thinking about your professional lives. <laughs> You're all thinking, I'm really creepy. What else are you watching about, <laughs> about us? <laughs> Just thinking about how smart all of you are, how many years of high school and college and post-college that you've engaged in. And in chapter 18, there's a shloka that talks about choices should be made based on the length of happiness. Bhavan Krishna says it in a very simple way. Now, for all of us, how many dollars and hours we're investing in whatever, is it creating long-term happiness for you? Is it? That's where I'm sharing. Our priorities are not clear because we're not clear about our nature. And if we're not clear about our nature, we're not going to be clear about contemplation. So more studying is needed. The more you study, the more you'll be clear about the destination, then the path will become clear too. One more point to your point is, don't guru shop. Don't go spiritual shopping. When you do that, you get nowhere fast. Take up one scripture, one sadhguru. Take up one sadhana and go deep into that. Once you get to that 80%, your question, you will laugh at yourself for asking this question because it will be totally redundant. You will be established in your, in your routine. And uh, a great way to stop spiritual shopping or guru shopping is to have the, a right group of friends, which we call a satsang or, or a role model. Next. Hey, um, I have a quick question about um, just what we've been learning in this course and how it relates to, I guess, our professional lives. Um, in my workplace, I sit in an area where there's a lot of, uh, that seems to be a place where everybody likes to gather. And so there are many times during the day <clears throat> where, um, I feel like it's hard to focus on my job at hand and, you know, people bring up certain topics and it's hard to entirely avoid it without just leaving. And there's only so many times that I can do that in a day. Um, so I was wondering if Vivekchi could share any tips on, um, you know, do I just chant in that moment, like internally or like, what are some things that I can do to kind of just, refocus myself because there are some days where it works out well and I'm able to stay focused. And then there are other days where, um, I really get swayed. And so it's hard to keep myself focused. So just yeah. any tips that Vivekji has, I'd really appreciate it. So thank yes. you. Understood. Your question is very relevant. I keep reading reports about in a typical corporate office, every time that your attention is taken away from the task at hand, it takes longer and longer to come back to that task at hand. 
So in an hour, if someone asks for your attention six times, you hardly finish half an hour of work because it just takes you that much time to, to come back. Workplaces, I feel, are not recognizing this, which is why they allow circumstances like you described. So what to do? When I fly, <laughs> I have to walk through the uh, first class cabin, then the business cabin, then the comfort plus plus cabin. And then somehow I get put in the back of the plane where all the kids sit. Even when I'm by myself, it's almost like they know he's a dad, he's used to this. <laughs> and as you walk through first class or the business cabin, everyone has their headphones on, correct? They're noise canceling Bose headphones that are $250. <laughs> and then everyone else is buying the $1, you know, <laughs> earplugs. <laughs> if you can do that in your workplace, where you can actually work with headphones and you don't even have to listen to anything. It's almost like you're creating a physical barrier saying right now I'm working. But the key there is sometimes you have to take down that barrier when you have some sort of downtime so people don't feel that it's against them, rather you're focusing on your work. Almost like people have signs that say class in progress or meeting in progress or a professor will have uh, office hours, right? So see, if you can do that. <coughs> Secondly is, what you've already shared is, be there but don't be there. You're there and, you know, chanting may be awkward because they're gonna ask you, what's your opinion on this? And you're gonna say, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudeva. That's my, that's my opinion on this. <laughs> what you should do is get into active listening. Try to use that dialogue as an opportunity to make your listening skills more precise. Watch every movement of their mouth. Listen to every uh, word they share. Really deepen your active listening. And the beauty of that is that they will actually, I feel, talk to you less because they'll feel happy that you're listening to them. And secondly is you'll be so much more of an observer like this thought parade, rather than someone who gets sucked into another person's opinion. Okay? For all of the parents with young kids, this is perpetual training, no? Do your work, feed. Do your work, wash the dishes. Do your work, clean up the broken glass. Do your work, clean up the poo. <laughs> it's, uh, it's incredible training. <laughs> okay. Hari Om Vivekji. <clears throat> Vivekji, uh, sometimes when I'm meditating, it, uh, it, it, I, I, I get a sense that I'm, I'm approaching uh, a deep, dark abyss, um, and it, uh, it, 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 it scares me, uh, and I find myself recoiling away. So my question was, if you could maybe uh, provide us uh, some of the stages of meditation until we reach our ultimate goal, just to contextualize the journey a little bit. Thank you. Yes. I'm sure many of us have also um, experienced this. So what are you supposed to do? The proactive measure is to pray, as I had shared earlier. You pray to Bhagavan that she, he will protect you all the way back to her, him. Without 
an Ishta Devata, you will always reach that darkness. In Buddhism, there's a certain school called Shunyavadis. In English, they're called nihilists. They believe in nihilism, which means zero. They feel that the highest that one can go in life or the deepest they can go into themselves is nothingness. And in Advaita Vedanta, we would question that and say, how do you know there's nothingness? If there's nothingness and you know it, that means there is somethingness there, correct? That somethingness is existence. That somethingness is awareness. That somethingness is God. So the proactive measure will be pray. The reactive measure, now you're in this place, what to do, is to watch your fear. Because <clears throat> what's happening is you're going deeper and then a subtle thought will come about what is all of this? Where are you? What are you going to become? And instead of watching that thought, what you're doing is you're indulging that thought. You're entertaining that thought. And so instead of that thought taking you deeper, it's pulling you back. It's pulling you back to worldliness, that you're scared of the economy, you're scared of the president, you're scared of climate change, you know, and whatever else you'll be scared of. It'll just keep on bringing you back. So similar to what I shared um, earlier to Asish's question is, during the day, set aside periods of your day where you're just watching, watching the traffic, watching the trees, watching people talk, watching your kids, just watching as an observer. And then when you get to that place again, that habit or that routine will come to just watch the fear. There is a period where it's almost like a leap of faith where you've let go of everything you know. You have to let go of everything you know before you can hold on to that. Um, what has been unknown your whole life for it to finally become known. That leap of faith period does happen and it is Bhagavan and, and the Guru Shisha Parampara that will um, allow you to take that leap of faith. And there's so many cool scenes in movies about that, like in The Dark Knight Rises, where he finally jumps without that rope because he's so in tune to service for him. If you've seen the documentary Free Solo, where he's just not identified with his body, I'm just going to climb 3,000, 3,200 feet without a rope. Um, speaking of simplicity of meditation, how do we balance it with the complexity of our rituals and pujas? For example, when something's not going the way society wants it, I often hear from multiple people to do this puja or this homam or wear this thread or this necklace or go to that temple. I feel overwhelmed by saying yes to everything, but also feel like I'm bringing negativity by not doing it. And I'm confused and unsure where to like draw that line. When people share with you that you should engage in this puja or wear this ring, they're undermining how powerful your own mind is. They're undermining the power of your own mind. In our Vedanta and Bhagavata class, the next two weeks, we're going to be taking up Kapila Muni's teachings to his mother. And his essential teaching to his own mother is, you think, that sorrow is real because you think the mind is real. And he helps her to inquire, to realize that the mind is fleeting also. The mind is relative also. 
So then anything, any emotion the mind creates also has to be fleeting and relative. So contemplation is most simple. So far, I've given you four out of the five steps, which is relax, enjoy, chant, inquire. And there's really one more step until contemplation is complete and it evolves to meditation. All of the times when people say you need to do this because you're bringing negativity, you uh, try to appreciate the power of your own mind that it's content. Contemplation is about content, not about context. Rituals are about context and not so much about content. So sometimes they're opposing each other and if you want to be serious about contemplation, then you can't succumb to Shani is in my Rashi right now, or I was born over here and, and so on and so forth because it's too extrovert. You'll never be able to uh, bring that mind to the intellect then, okay? To contemplate, to wrap up our question and reflection period, this demands letting go. Letting go of your comfort, letting go of your support, letting go of all other dharmas yes in chapter 18 Bhagavan Krishna says Arjuna you even have to let go of dharma and simply surrender to me if you enjoyed what you heard or want to learn more share this episode with a friend or find us online at facebook.com slash cm niagara for those on the journey of self-development Chinmay Mission Niagara provides a community forum for seekers to listen, reflect, and contemplate. This podcast is produced by the Young Adults of Chinmay Mission, an international nonprofit working to transform individuals through the knowledge of Vedanta. Until next time, inspire, love, be.